the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Online at Let's Talk Faith.com. Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. Now it is critical that we understand exactly what the Apostle means by this. Note that John is not saying that sin is breaking any one specific law or commandment of God. Now, that's true, but that's not what he's saying here. No, it's far deeper than that. John is saying that sin is total, and note this, deliberate and disregard for God's authority in general. In Isaiah chapter 6, the prophet quotes God with these words, I spread out my hands all the day to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good, following their own devices, a people who provoke me to my face continually. In 1 John 3, John said, No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. He was referring to the same kind of consistent lifestyle and attitudes that God condemned through the words of Isaiah, that Jesus spoke against in the Sermon on the Mount, and that Paul warned about in Romans chapter 6. There is a big difference between an occasional fall to temptation and a consistent, willful pattern of rebellion. Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today we will be airing the start of Pastor Steve's third message concerning how to recognize the children of God. John wrote this letter so that we could find assurance of our salvation. He described three basic tests. One is a correct understanding of who Jesus is and what he did for us. Another is a special love for other children of God. And the third is a dramatic change in our behavior. Children of God live lives that are markedly different than before they put their faith in the Lord Jesus. No one who reads 1 John and understands what it communicates can live like the rest of the world and still claim to be born again. Let's open our Bibles to 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. Here's Pastor Steve with our lesson. As we continue our study of 1 John, we have come to a series of verses that frankly have troubled many Christians, many dedicated Christians. And the reason these verses have been so bothersome and so troublesome to believers is because an initial reading of them gives the impression that Christians no longer sin. And that for an individual to admit that he even struggles with sin, ongoing sin, is to essentially admit that he is not a true Christian. The verses that I'm referring to are found in 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 through 10. I'm going to read the whole section to you, though we will not cover all of these verses tonight. But John says, beginning at verse 4, everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. 
You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Little choker, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him, and he cannot sin because he's born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. Now, notice how often in these verses John mentions the word sin. In fact, in every one of the verses that I just read to you, apart from Verse 10, the word sin appears. And in a few of these verses, it sounds as if John is saying that a true believer no longer sins anymore. Specifically, verse 6, no one who abides in him sins, no one who sins has seen him or knows him. And verse 9, no one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Now, at first glance, Many are troubled by these verses because it appears that John is saying that true Christians no longer sin. But we know that's, that can't possibly be what John is teaching here. Otherwise, it would contradict what he said back in chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, when he said, If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So based on this, we know that John was saying back in chapter one that Christians do sin. So we can't be saying two chapters later that we no longer sin. So how then are we to understand chapter three, these, these verses? Well, in addition to understanding the tenses of these verbs in the original Greek language, which does clarify things, and we'll get to that in a few minutes, we do need to understand the context in which these verses appear. Context is almost everything. It's not everything, it's almost everything because it clarifies so much. Now, I remind you, the context is this. Starting at the end of chapter 2, verses 28 and 29, and continuing into chapter 3, verse 10, John gives a moral exam to his readers. It's not the first moral exam he's given, but it is another moral exam to his readers, whereby they can test the authenticity of their faith. He knows that they're struggling with doubts about their own salvation, and so he offers them a way to know and to be assured that they have really come to faith in Jesus Christ. And the way they can assure their hearts that they are true children of God is by examining the way they live. And the primary question, folks, that John is focusing on in these verses in this examination is this. Does righteousness now characterize the way you live? That's the issue here. That's his primary question. Does righteousness now characterize the way you live? That is to say, he is asking his readers, and by way of eternal application, us, is your greatest desire, your greatest activity in life, doing what is right based on the word of God? 
Is that what drives you in your life? If your answer is yes, then John says that you are a child of God. But if not, then you are not a child of God. As he says in these verses, you are a child of the devil. Now, that is John's basic argument at the end of chapter 2 and well into chapter 3, as he stresses that the children of God are distinctly different from the children of the devil, because the children of God practice righteousness, and the children of the devil do not practice righteousness. That is what he's saying in verse 10, as he sort of sums this up by this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. Now, having introduced this concept of being a child of God, really in chapter 2, verse 29, when he speaks about being born of him, as you'll recall, John takes a little detour as chapter 3 begins in order to just pause, and he worships the Lord He pauses, he worships the Lord by stating some precious truths about what it means to be a child of God. He tells us in verse 1 that we are children of God strictly because the Father has bestowed his love upon us. He says, see how great a love the Father has bestowed on us. Remember we said this means a love that's out of this world, a love that's, that's foreign, a love that is so beyond anything we've ever seen on the earth. What great love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God. And not only would we be called that, not only is it a label, but in reality, it's true. He said we're called the children of God and such we are. He also tells us another truth about being a child of God. At the end of verse 1, he says that children of God, it's precious to be a child of God. And we know that we're children of God. We're called children of God, but not everybody recognizes that. Children of God are not recognized or understood by the world. So he says, for this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Then in verse 2, John reveals a third truth about what it means to be a child of God. And the truth that he reveals here is that every child of God will someday be just like Jesus Christ in terms of our character and in terms of our body being immortal. He says in verse 2, Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, that is when Christ comes back, we'll be just like him because we'll see him as he is. As soon as we fix our eyes on Jesus Christ, John said, you'll be just like him. That the progressive sanctification that began at salvation will be over. The progressive sanctification will be now perfect sanctification. And then finally in verse 3, John says that children of God, though they someday will be perfect, even now they are in the process of purifying their lives, meaning that even though now we are not perfectly righteous, and we won't be until we see Jesus, we strive for personal purity in our lives, in our daily lives. And one of the great motivations for living a holy life now, John says, is knowing that someday we're going to be fully holy and completely like Jesus. Verse 3, and everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. 
Now that was John's precious little detour that he took as he opened chapter 3. But starting with verse 4, he's ready to move back to his main argument, which is that true children of God do practice righteous living. But instead of just stating that as a fact, John gives some very tangible reasons why this is the case. In other words, John not only states that true children of God practice righteousness, he tells us why they practice righteousness. And these, these reasons give us theological substance. They're really significant because not only will these reasons for righteousness help you to, to clarify in your own mind why holiness is so important, but also it'll, it'll keep you from being naive about, about professing Christians who say they know Christ, but there's never been a change in their lives. Godly living just isn't that important to them. So this passage is your defense against a Christian or someone who claims to be a Christian saying that they don't have to live any way different than the world. You'll see that John vehemently disagrees. And so these verses that have troubled so many true Christians over the years, listen, they don't need to trouble you anymore. They don't. Do you understand the context? You'll see that this passage helps to clarify, not confuse, but clarify why a true child of God practices righteousness and does not practice sin. It is designed, folks, to bring you assurance, not trouble you. So let's begin as we look at several of these reasons. We'll take three of them, but there are more in the passage we'll see in weeks to come. First reason John tells us that children of God practice righteousness is because of the nature of sin, because of what sin really is. He's going to show that that based on what sin really is, it's obvious that we don't live like that anymore. Verse 4, everyone who practices sin, he writes, also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. Now, in this statement, John presents a very clear definition of sin for us. He says that sin is lawlessness. Those who practice sin are actually engaged in practicing lawlessness. Now, what does he mean by this? Well, the Bible has a number of ways of describing or defining sin for us. Sometimes sin is defined as missing the mark or falling short of the target. We read that, for example, in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That is to say, we all fall short of God's standard of perfection. At other times, sin is defined as without righteousness. That's, that's another definition. That is to say, deviating from God's righteous standards. However, the way that John defines sin here is that he says it is lawlessness. Now, what does he mean by that? He means that to sin is to live as if there is no law. That's as basic and as simple as I can put it. To sin as if there is no law. Now, it is critical that we understand exactly what the apostle means by this. Note that John is not saying that sin is breaking any one specific law or commandment of God. Now, that's true, but that's not what he's saying here. No, it's far deeper than that. John is saying that sin is total, and note this, deliberate and disregard for God's authority in general. It is an active rebellion, an ongoing rebellion to all of his laws, as opposed to any one law in particular. One Bible teacher, Joel Beakey, 
put it this way. He said, sin is more than being a prodigal who has wandered from his father's house. We deliberately rebel not only against divine laws, but against the divine lawgiver. Instead of submitting to God's rule and authority, we want to be a law unto ourselves. Sin is man's refusal to submit his mind, his heart, and his will to the authority of God. He does not want anyone other than himself to be Lord of his life. That, in essence, is exactly what John is saying. Now, this definition of sin is very important to understand because if we don't understand the seriousness of sin, that, that it is deliberate and active and ongoing rebellion against God's authority, then we might very well trivialize sin or dismiss it as something that isn't too serious. Folks, that is exactly what many people do because in doing that, they can never understand true salvation. See, there are many today who have the wrong view of sin. They see sin as a personality disorder or a minor character flaw. Now, if you think that sin is simply a character weakness that you might have picked up from observing some actions of your parents or some kind of failure to do something you should have done or a personality quirk or some bad habit you developed over the years, then you can't be saved. You can't be saved because you do not understand what sin really is. It's really not that bad if you define it that way. But you can't be saved until you realize the truth about yourself being a sinner. So you can't be saved from your sin unless you understand the nature of your sin. It is a complete and deliberate rebellion against Almighty God and the moral laws he has set down in his word as well as placed within our conscience. Now, once you come to understand the true nature of sin and your guilt before God, and you are convicted and grieved by the fact that you are lawless, then you're ready to come to Christ to save you from being a lawbreaker. That's how serious it is. This is, this is tied into salvation. If you don't understand what sin is, you're never going to understand your need for a savior, for the savior. Now, when this takes place... When you come to Christ, recognizing you are a lawbreaker, you are lawless, when this takes place, then you stop being a deliberate and a complete rebel as you submit to God's authority, and your desire then at conversion then becomes doing His will rather than disregarding His will the way you used to be. That is precisely Why John says here in chapter 3, verse 4, that those who practice sin live in a state of continual lawlessness. Because what he is, in essence, and in context, is saying is that children of God don't live like that anymore. They no longer are lawless. Why? Because they have been subdued by Jesus Christ and now they live under his authority. Remember, when John wrote these words, as we pointed out last week, he was an old man. He had been saved for about 60 years. However, when John was a young man, he had heard the master. He had heard the Lord himself, Jesus, speak about this very issue of being lawless. Let's look back at Matthew chapter 7. Jesus said something very similar. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 21. He's speaking in the Sermon on the Mount, and he says that someday people are going to come to him, that he's going to turn them away. But here's what they're going to say. 
chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. It's not saying you can work your way to salvation. The will of the Father is trusting Christ and then obeying him. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, now note this, I never knew you, depart from me, you who practice, here's that word, lawlessness. In these verses, Jesus spoke of religious unbelievers as lawless, but they were religious But regardless of their religious deeds, regardless of the magnificent things that they did that that looked very impressive, that they had done actually in his name, their hearts had never been changed. They had never been converted. They lived, even though they carried on religious deeds, they lived as if there was no law, regardless of the activities they did. Folks, you know what? This is very relevant because there are many people just like this today. They are involved in Bible-believing churches with good, sound doctrine. But they live any way they want to live. They see no connection between what they claim to believe and how they live. They may even be officers in the church. They may hold positions of responsibility, but the core of their life, regardless of a position that they hold in the church, is rebellion towards what God says to do. And they see no discrepancy, but there is a discrepancy. And so understand the point that John is making in defining sin. He's saying that true children of God must, and they do, practice righteousness. They don't practice lawlessness because of the nature of sin. They are no longer lawless. See, no true child of God can practice sin because in coming to faith in Christ, he denounced his sin. He surrendered to Christ's lordship. He has ceased living as an active rebel to God. Now, it doesn't mean that we no longer have any rebellious issues. We have plenty of rebellious issues. We still battle with sin. But it is accurate to say, and note this, that we no longer live totally in rebellion to God's law. When we do sin, we know it in our hearts. We grieve over our sin. We confess our sin. We repent of our sin. That's not true of the unsaved, of a child of Satan. They practice a lifestyle of lawlessness and have no remorse over it. It doesn't bother them. And so, the first reason John tells us that children of God practice righteousness is because of the nature of sin being lawlessness. We don't practice lawlessness anymore. We sin, but not in that kind of a a manner. I've heard it said that sheep and pigs both get dirty. But what makes them so different is that the pigs actually work at it. Children of God are like sheep in many ways, some of which are not very flattering. But one of the positive comparisons is that just as sheep don't make a beeline for the nearest mud puddle, we do not make a practice of seeking out sin, even though we sometimes fall into it. We're glad you could be here with us today for Verse by Verse. Steve Kreloff, pastor of Lakeside Community Chapel, is our teacher. Lakeside is in Clearwater, Florida, and if you ever want to visit and meet Pastor Steve, he would enjoy meeting you. 
The address is 1893 Sunset Point Road in Clearwater. Find out more at lakesidechapel.com or call 727-239-0306. That's the same number to call if you have questions about this program or want to know more about how to become a child of God. And if you'd like to receive a free CD with this entire message, call and ask for program 8734, How to Recognize the Children of God, Part 3. The phone number once more is 727-239-0306. You can also listen online to any of our broadcasts at versebyverseradio.org. And while I'm at it, I'd like to remind our visually impaired listeners about an opportunity. If you have a digital talking book player from the Library Service for the Blind and want a free audio Bible for your digital player, call 800-838-5924 or visit www.blindbibles.com. That's blindbibles.com or 800-838-5924. This is Jerry Peterson. I recently reread a book that I hadn't read in decades, Pilgrim's Progress. What a wonderful book. In it, John Bunyan wrote about a conversation between Christian and Hopeful, in which Christian was asking Hopeful how he had come to the conclusion that trying to live a good life would not gain him eternal life. Hopeful began his reply by quoting Isaiah 64, 6, which says that all our righteousness is like filthy rags. He went on to say, I also thought about things this way. If a man runs up a hundred pound debt at a local shop, and after that pays cash for everything else he buys, his old debt still stands in the book unsettled. The shopkeeper may sue him for it and throw him into prison till he pays the debt. And it's the same with our sins. If we stop committing sins, we still have that old sin debt. So for those reasons and more, there is nothing we can do to atone for our disobedience. Our sin natures have run up a debt that is more than our spiritual bank accounts can handle. But God has made a provision for us. In fact, the only provision possible, I hope you can... Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.